Now, we're all familiar with the names Mark Anthony and Cleopatra, aren't we? Anthony and Cleopatra. You know, Mark Anthony should have succeeded Julius Caesar uh, to the throne of Rome. History tells us that he was an orator without equal in his day. He was a brilliant statesman. He was a capable leader. Uh, by all accounts, he was courageous, strong, and handsome. I'll have to leave somebody else to decide on that last factor. But it is agreed that he had one fatal flaw. Moral weakness. He was a morally weak man. So much so that one of his mentors once lost it with him and shouted in his face and said, Oh, Marcus, oh, colossal child, able to conquer the world, but unable to resist a temptation. Now, unfortunately, that indictment applies to many people today, doesn't it? We still have people in high places that could rule the world if they could just learn to rule themselves. But it's just not people in high places. It's a lot of common people. It's not just unbelievers, but there are a lot of Christians who struggle with the realm of temptation. Am I telling it right? We're just unable, it seems, to resist a temptation. We've all faced temptation, and we've all known our fair share of failures. Now, temptation is our problem. Would we agree with that? It's, it's a human problem, and we all experience it. And that's why Jesus made temptation his problem. In his humanity, Jesus could be tempted with sin. And that's what we're going to see this morning. Because Luke wants us to receive encouragement this morning that as Jesus had victory over sin, so Jesus can give victory to his people over sin. It's really good news when we, when we, when we, when we talk about who Jesus is and we say, He's the Son of God who came into this world as a man to save us from our sins. Amen? He's the Son of God who came into this world as one of us that he might save us from our sins. But not just the penalty of our sins, hell, but from the very power of sin itself. God wants you and I to live victoriously over temptation and sin and Jesus came and subjected himself to our temptations so that you and I could experience that victory. So let's look at Luke chapter 4 this morning, verses 1 through 13, the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness by the devil. And then we'll look at the scriptures together this morning. Uh, uh, Luke chapter number 4, as you're able this morning, why don't we stand together out of respect for the reading of the Bible. I'll read aloud beginning in verse number 1 and ask you to follow along as I read. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, 
showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them. For that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. Now time out. Jesus did not dispute that statement. That's worthy of a little thought. The devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them. For that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get, me get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. God wants you and I to see that the same Holy Spirit and the same Word of God that effectively helped Jesus to battle temptation in his humanity can enable us to fight victoriously over temptation in our humanity. Let's pray. Jesus lived for 30 years in relative obscurity. We saw that last week. When he was about 30 years old, the Bible says, he went to the Jordan River and he was baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And as we said last week, baptism was his public commitment to die on the cross for our sins, to be buried, and to rise again from the dead to save us. Jesus didn't baptize because he was the sinner that needed to repent of his sins. He was baptized to let us know that our repentance is not in vain. We have a Savior who went to the cross and died for us, was buried, and rose again to save us from our sins. And in a sense, his baptism was a declaration of war. Jesus had come to battle with the devil for the souls of men, and the first battle that he fought was the one that Adam lost, the temptation that the devil brought into his life. Compared to Jesus Christ, by the way, the temptation of Adam was nothing. Now I want you to think about this. Adam faced temptation in paradise. The Bible tells that Jesus was tempted to the devil in the wilderness. I mean, Adam was in the best place possible, and Jesus was in one of the worst circumstances possible. Adam had it better than Jesus did. Adam faced temptation in the sinless perfection of Eden. Jesus faced temptations in a world where temptation was everywhere. Have you ever said or maybe heard somebody make the observation and say, boy, it's a lot tougher to, to, to be a teenager these days. And you say, why? Because there's so much what in the world? Temptation. I mean, there's so many more avenues to sin. I mean, and in our minds, all that extra temptation makes it harder to live a Christian life, harder to do the right thing. Well, imagine Adam was in a garden. He only faced temptation one time, and he failed.
Jesus had lived 30 years in a world where temptation was everywhere. You could take and be tempted any place. Jesus was tempted, the Bible says, multiple times over 40 days, and yet Jesus rejected every temptation Satan offered. Where Adam failed after one temptation, Jesus prevailed over every temptation. That's our Savior. Now, Jesus subjected himself to temptation, again, because temptation is our problem. And so Jesus made it his problem. And because Jesus overcame temptation, he wants to give us the confidence that we can too. And there's lessons to be learned here from the temptation of Jesus that will prepare us to experience the, the, the victory over temptation that God wants us to have. And so I just want us to work our way through a little bit and learn what I think are three pretty important truths that we need to understand if we're going to win the battle over temptation and sin. Now, I want you to notice again in verse number uh, one that it says, Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So right away we get the setting for where and how this temptation occurred. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, led, uh, 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 full of the Holy Ghost, fresh from his baptism, led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, here's a lesson. I think we probably already know this, but it's important to be reminded of it. Temptation can come at any time, at any place in our lives, regardless of our spiritual condition. Temptation can come at any time, in any place, regardless of your spiritual condition. Here we have Jesus Christ, his life, perfectly aligned with the will of God. Perfectly aligned with the will of God. Yet he was tempted. At his baptism, the voice of the Father was heard from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus had just demonstrated his, his determination to fulfill God's plan, to go to the cross, to die for our sins, and rise again to save us. And the Father said, Thou art my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Jesus was right where the Father wanted him to be. He was doing exactly what the Father wanted him to do. And yet, he was not beyond the reach of Satan and his temptation. Temptation can happen in our lives at any time, at any place, without regard to our spiritual condition. The Bible tells in verse number 1 that Jesus faced his temptation full of the Holy Ghost, led by the Spirit of God. Now, understand me, do not cheapen the humanity of Jesus Christ. Jesus was 100% man, and he faced this temptation as a man filled by the Spirit of God. That's why in his quotation he says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. The Son of God had come into this world in human flesh. He'd taken upon himself the manhood of a man. And it's as a spirit-filled man that Jesus faced his temptations. Jesus was as dependent upon the Spirit of God as a man could be, but that did not pre uh, prevent Satan from tempting him. You can be tempted no matter where you're at, no, no matter uh, uh, your spiritual condition, any time, any place, you can face temptation. Jesus was in the wilderness. Okay, he wasn't in Las Vegas. 
He wasn't where it just seems like temptation is on every street corner. I mean, everywhere you look, there's ah, a fresh reason to cover your eyes. He was in a place where we would expect it to be difficult to find something with which to tempt a man. Isn't that right? In the wilderness. And yet, he could be tempted. The picture that Luke gives us in this opening statement, you have Jesus Christ. In my mind, I visualize him as dripping with the waters of Jordan. He's obedient to God's plan. He's flush with the joy of knowing that his father is pleased with where he's at and, 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 and the commitment that he has just made. His human nature, what, what, he, what he received through the virgin birth, his human nature was fully in submission to the Holy Spirit so that the Holy Spirit could lead him where God wanted him to be. He's in the wilderness, the last place where you would expect to meet the devil. And yet none of those things prevented the devil from tempting Jesus. There's a warning in that. It's a simple warning. Temptation can come at any time in any place without regard to your spiritual condition. You are just as vulnerable to temptation in times of victory as you are in times of struggle. Now, this, you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> There's no place you can go in this world where you will be out of reach of temptation. Uh, you, you can't grow so spiritually strong that temptation cannot reach your heart and stir those longings in you. Temptation can come at any time, in any place, without regard to your spiritual condition. Number two, temptation is a spiritual experience. One reason that we lose the battle with temptation frequently is we think it's all about these bodies, this mind. You know, one of the characteristics of Luke's gospel is that it emphasizes the spiritual realities of life. He, he emphasized the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. He became man. He became one of us. He lived in this world as we have to live it. And so he emphasizes the spiritual realities that you and I are meant to keep in mind. And so Luke mentions angels and demons, the devil and the Holy Spirit, more than any other New Testament writer. He is constantly reminding us that there is a natural world and there's a supernatural world, and what happens in that spirit realm affects us in the physical realm. And by the way, uh, what happens to us physically can often affect us spiritually. Uh, we, we have to take and be conscious of both a spiritual world and a physical world at all times. And so when you read this account of the temptation of Jesus, Luke makes it very clear that it was the devil that tempted Jesus. It was the devil that spoke to Jesus. It was the devil who was enticing him to sin. It wasn't just a human struggle. It involved a spiritual dimension. Pardon me. <coughs> that didn't work, did it? Took the microphone with me. It was the devil that tempted him, the devil that spoke to him, the devil that was attempting to entice him to sin. So understand this when you're tempted. The devil is real. The devil is real. 
If you believe in God this morning, you have no reason not to believe in the devil. The Bible teaches the reality of both. In this account, it's the devil who spoke to Jesus. And by the way, Jesus answered him. So if you accept the idea that the devil is just a myth, a fable, a legend, then you have something that wasn't real talking to Jesus. Now, time out. We have a word for people who hear voices from that which is not real, don't we? You have something that was not real talking to Jesus, and here's the real thing. Jesus talking back. No. Jesus was talking to Satan, and Satan was talking to Jesus. The devil is real. He's real. The power of temptation that the devil wields is real. Ephesians chapter 2 describes the devil as the prince of the power of the air. He just wants you to know that the devil has a worldwide influence. His influence in this world is as great as the covering of the atmosphere over our earth. Okay, if it's, if it's under the heavens, okay, if it's on this earth, the devil has power and influence in this realm. His power of temptation is real. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, the apostle Paul calls him the God of this world and says that he blinds the minds of men lest they come to faith in Jesus Christ. So one of the purposes behind the temptations of Satan, one of the purposes for all the allurements of this world that turn men's hearts away from God is that the lost might never turn to God. That they would stay blind to who Jesus is and blind to what Jesus done, lest they should be saved. I'm just saying the devil is a real being and his power of temptation is real. In Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12, the Bible says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I mean, the Bible is just telling us, and what the temptation of Jesus is teaching us, is the devil is real, and the devil's power of temptation is real. If the devil was, and by, by the way, if the devil was not afraid to tempt Jesus, do you think he's going to hesitate to tempt me or you? That, 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 that he'll somehow be afraid of tempting us because he might fail? No, no, the devil is real. Temptation is a spiritual experience. What we have is the devil and Jesus in conflict. Every temptation engages us in a spiritual conflict. Now, again, we feel temptation as an emotional and physical struggle. Isn't that real? Okay. Hormones and chemicals. That's what words we use. Emotional things. Our mind going places that we don't want it to go and, and being tempted to stay where we know it ought not stay. Uh, we feel literal physical sen uh, 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 sensations with temptation. Now, I know temptation is different from all other people, and we spell temptation in different ways. I can tell you one for me. You spell it S-N-I-C-K-E-R-S-R. 
Yeah. At Fry's yesterday. Standing in line. Wait and check out. Look over. Oh my. Snickers. Boy, they're smaller these days. They really are. They've shrunk them. 50 cents, you hardly get anything. But that means they don't have as many calories as they used to have. That would make them a little bit more healthier than they used to be. <laughs> mm, I get, you feel the... You know what I mean? We experience it emotionally and physically, but the origin of temptation is spiritual. Every temptation involves us in a spiritual struggle. It is a, especially for the Christian, okay, it is a, 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 a wrestling match between our flesh and our spirit. Now, Jesus experienced temptation as we do. Why do you think the devil waited till he had been fasting 40 days to tempt him with bread? I'm pretty certain that, that because the humanity of Jesus was real, the suggestion of bread, something that he probably intentionally not thought about for quite a long time. That's why I try not to use things like Snickers bars as temptations, because now I'm thinking I could have bought one yesterday. You know what I mean? Nobody said I can't have one. Maybe I should go back and get one. You know what I mean? For, uh, for 40 days, Jesus probably hadn't thought of so much of the crust of bread, and the devil takes and tempts him with something that his body has begun to crave most. Don't you know? Can't you just, mmm, the stomach juice is going. And no, I'm, It was real humanity. What began at the suggestion of Satan was felt physically and emotionally in Jesus. See, what we experience begins with Satan. Every temptation has a spiritual origin. It is a spiritual experience. And that's why we cannot overcome it apart from spiritual help. Temptation can come at any time, in any place, regardless of your spiritual condition. And temptation is a spiritual experience. <coughs> Number three. At the heart of every temptation... Is a lie. At the heart of every temptation is a lie. Now, the Bible makes it clear in verse 2 that the devil tempted Jesus the entire 40-day period. He says, being 40 days tempted of the devil. But then we read that at the end of that 40-day period, Satan tempts him in three specific ways. And at the heart of each of these temptations is a lie. A suggestion that contradicts God's word. When I mean that at the heart of every temptation is a lie, it is something that contradicts with God's word. So I'm going to look at each of the temptations. Uh, I'm going to identify the lie that I see in it, and then we'll talk about how that affected Jesus. But notice, first of all, again, the Bible uh, uh, says in verse number uh, three and the devil said unto him if thou be the son of God command this stone that it be made bread if thou be the son of God I think the lie in this temptation could be summarized this way you may be the son of God but your father isn't treating you like one come on what father 
lets his son go hungry when he has it in the power to feed him. I mean, we're talking about the same father who fed the children of Israel in the wilderness. I mean, he'd been giving them manna, and it didn't satisfy them. And they moaned and groaned and complained, and the father gave them meat, sent them quail. I mean, you may be the son of God, but your heavenly father isn't treating you like one. If thou be the son of God. It suggests that Jesus deserved better than what his father was providing for him. And so at the heart of this temptation is a question or doubt of the goodness of God or perhaps the love of God. So you have this enticement to stern, turn stones into bread. I mean, look, if your father won't feed you, you can feed yourself. You don't have to wait on him. If you're the son of God, you have that power. You don't need wheat. You can take rocks and make bread. Now, as a kid, I was kind of convinced that my mom could take biscuits and turn them into rocks. <laughs> now, my mom has got past that. She's a great cook. But there was a time in our childhood where we saw biscuits and we thought, oh, no, batting practice time. But there's not a human being that can take rocks and turn them to bread. But Jesus could. The lie is, you may be the son of God, but your heavenly father's not treating you like one. Why don't you just take matters into your own hand and do for yourself what your father has not done? Does that sound familiar? Maybe you haven't ever been tempted to ask the question, if God loves me, then why? Why is he letting this happen? Why won't he answer my prayer? Why won't he? If. Where did that suggestion come from? It didn't come from your Bible. The Bible declares God's love for you. It's an everlasting love. It's an unconditional love. It's an unbreakable You can't fall, fall out of love with God, but God will never stop loving you. So where do you suppose that, that suggestion comes? If God really loved me, if God really cared for me, if God is really good, then why won't? And with those questions, with that suggestion, comes the temptation, does it not, to do for ourselves what God will not do. At the heart of every temptation is a lie. And with it then the enticement to act on that lie. In the second temptation, we read how Jesus takes Jesus up in a high mountain, verse 5. Shows him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and says unto him, All this power will I give thee and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. Lie number two. You can have what you want to have, but you don't have to do it God's way to get it. You can have what God wants you to have, but you don't have to do it God's way to get it, Jesus was offered, Satan tempted Jesus with all the kingdoms of the world. Now you have to understand, Satan was not offering Jesus anything that God had not already promised to give him. I mean, we have prophecies in the Old Testament, the coming kingdom of God. And the one who would sit on that kingdom is the son of David, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the son of God. What Satan was offering Jesus okay, was nothing more than what God had already promised him. So what was happening? 
Satan was offering Jesus a shortcut for getting it. He was telling him, you can have the crown, you don't have to have the cross. You can have the glory of the kingship without the agony of Gethsemane. You can have what the Father wants you to have, but you don't have to do it the Father's way in order to get it. To respond to Satan's temptation would require Jesus to do something that God forbid. He could have what God wanted him to have. He could get it in what was meant to be offered as an easier and quicker way, a shortcut. But in order to do it, he had to do something that God said man should not do. He had to give the devil what belonged to God alone. Worship. The best tem uh, a definition of temptation that I know, it's the enticement to fulfill a God-given desire purpose in a God-forbidden way. It is the enticement to fulfill a God-given desire or purpose in a God-forbidden way. Temptation often offers us what God wants us to have in a way that appears quicker and easier than God has for us to do it. But to obtain it, you have to violate something that God has said you not to do. For example, today a lot of people are told you don't have to wait to get married to live with the person that you love. Now a lot of lost people believe that lie. And a lot of Christians do too. You can have what God wants you to have, but you don't have to do it God's way to get it. You don't have to do all the work yourself to get good grades in school. Somebody else already done the work. Just put their work on your paper and everybody be happy with that. It happens all the time. You can have what God wants you to have, but you don't necessarily have to do it God's way to get it. There's nothing wrong with cutting a few corners on the job to get ahead. There's nothing wrong with cutting a few corners in your Christian life get those blessings you can have what God wants you to have but you don't have to do it God's way to get it Satan tempts us frequently to step outside of God's plan to believe that we can have God's will outside the boundaries of God's word it's a lie at the heart of every temptation is a lie the third temptation, the devil has learned. Verse number 9, he brought him to Jerusalem, set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast, thy down, cast thyself down from hence. Come out! <laughs> For it's written, Jesus. I know what the Bible says. Beat him to the punch. For it is written... He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Line number three. God's word isn't as reliable as God says it is. You know, you can't always trust God to do what he said he would do. You can't always trust God to do what he said he would do. Cast thyself down. Let's just see. Will God really send an angel to catch you, keep you from dashing yourself on the rocks below. Go ahead, Jesus, try it. 
The devil was enticing Jesus to act foolishly out of doubt. Not to trust in God by faith. Do you see the difference? Do something reckless. Do something foolish. Just prove that God's word is true. That's why Jesus says, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. God never leads you to act recklessly to prove that his word is true. The devil is a master of twisting God's word. Uh, the psalm he quoted did not require Jesus to do something foolish to prove its worth. It only required him to believe it. And then God would prove its worth if Jesus was ever in a position to need that promise. He didn't have to cast himself down to prove that God had angels ready to care for him. Same is true in our lives. Sometimes the devil uses our own guilt, perhaps, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, to entice us to do something that's reckless, prove that God's word is true. He's tempting us to act out of doubt, not faith. The real temptation is, can I believe what God said is true? Can I claim the promises that he made and trust him to fulfill them? Temptation can come at any time, in any place, even when we are spiritually at our best. It involves a spiritual battle. It's more than just chemicals and hormones. And at the heart of every temptation is a lie. I want to wrap up this morning by just pointing out some common myths of temptation that are overthrown by what we just read. You know, a lot of people, a lot of Christians, I should say, you know, they think that to be, to, to be tempted is to sin. If I'm tempted, then I sin. It's not a sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted, and if the Bible is very clear about something, Jesus never sinned. So it's not a sin to be tempted. Another common uh, myth that we have is that somehow we've disappointed God because we allowed ourselves to be tempted. Somehow we just disappointed God. If I'd been everything I should have been, that never would have happened in my life. Well, excuse me. Jesus was exactly where the Spirit of God had led him. He was perfectly aligned with the Spirit in his life. He was uh, pleasing God with everything he did. You couldn't be more right than Jesus was and yet he could still be tempted. You know, temptation occurs because you and I live in a fallen world. Temptation occurs because you and I have an enemy that opposes what God is trying to do in our life. You cannot avoid temptation. Now, well, let me, let me re-say that. Okay. You cannot eliminate temptation out of your life. There, we can take steps to avoid some temptation. You know, I'm a huge advocate of putting filters on your internet. Okay. You know why? It'll help you avoid some temptation. They won't be able to get to you. Uh, whenever my uh, teenage, my last teenage son was at home, we finally got into that age where he had smartphones and tablets and all that. I had the passwords to his, and he had the passwords to mine. I couldn't, I couldn't unlock anything on mine, and he couldn't unlock anything. So why'd you do that? Because I wanted to teach him these things are dangerous. I'll make myself accountable to you, and you make yourself accountable to me. We can do some things to avoid temptation, but you can't do anything to eliminate temptation from your life. You haven't disappointed God because you were tempted. And the third myth is we sometimes just buy into is, well, if I was just a little better Christian, 
I wouldn't have fallen for that temptation. There's no way the devil could have tempted me with that. Well, it's one of the myths that spiritually mature people are somehow invulnerable to temptation. I mean, you just get close enough to Jesus, you're bulletproof and invincible. Again, no Christian ever is so grown up that they cannot be tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted. You don't disappoint God when you're tempted. And spiritual maturity will not make you invulnerable to temptation. The last myth is one that Jesus absolutely wants to explode in our thinking. And that is the idea that temptation is, cannot be overcome. What God wants us to understand is temptation is unavoidable. But it's not an unwinnable battle. You do not have to continue to fall to the same temptations over and over again. If you read this account, you'll know that never once did Jesus to resort to his divine nature to overcome Satan. He didn't, he didn't do any miracles. He didn't take in fire from heaven. Teach you to tempt me like that. Never once did Jesus exercise his divine power in this temptation. Jesus overcame the devil with two spiritual helps that is available to every believer. The power of God's spirit and the Bible. When he went out in the wilderness, it's full of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. It won't, doesn't mean you won't be tempted. Okay? It means the temptation won't win. The power of the Holy Spirit and the Bible. The devil said, you know, for somebody who calls themselves the son of God, your heavenly father doesn't take very good care of you. I got news for you, Satan. There's more important things in life than bread. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He just quoted the Bible. When the devil offered him all the temptations of all the kingdoms of the world, said, all the cost is one thing, one thing, one time. Fall down right now and worship me. Jesus pulled out the Bible on him a second time and said, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. I win, you lose. <laughs> Spiritual power and the word of God. Jesus didn't employ anything in his battle with Satan that you and I do not have right at our fingertips. The Spirit of God and the Bible. You and I experience victory in our battles over temptation the same way Jesus did. Reliance upon God's Spirit and obedience to God's Word. Uh, I have learned that if I will develop a habit in my life of saying yes to Jesus, it's a whole lot easier to say no to the devil. Too often, this is what we get into. We get in a struggle like this. You know, Paul, you know, he's saying, he's saying, come, and we're saying, oh. It's a whole lot easier to win if this is your posture. No, no. <laughs> get thee behind me, Satan. I'm not falling down worshiping you. I'm not trading the fellowship I have with my father through his word, the faith in his word for mere bread. Learn to say yes to God, and you'll find it's a lot easier to say no to the devil. Temptation is coming. 
my life, your life, not any of us can escape it. In our humanity, we're weak. But if you're saved this morning, there's more to you than you. You have the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. When you're filled with the Spirit, you have the power to overcome temptation and sin. And I don't know what you may be struggling with this morning. I don't know what may have had your number over the course of this past week. But here's what I do know. That if you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, the same Savior who defeated the devil in the moment of his temptations can help you defeat the devil in the moment of your temptations. His Spirit is more than a match for the devil. And his Word is what we combat every lie that he entices us with. The battle over temptation and sin is a winnable war. Now, if you have never received Christ as your Savior, you don't have on the inside what you need and what you could have to win. The starting point for winning these battles is to know that you've received Christ. Heaven is your home. And so I'd ask you this morning, you know, have you received the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior from sin? Do you know that you know that you know that heaven is your home because you've received Christ? Here's the second thing. If we develop a habit of saying yes to Jesus, it's a whole lot easier to stick your tongue at Satan and say no. So let me ask you this. You've been saved, but have you been baptized? I mean, baptism is the first step of obedience. Okay. You believe in Christ as your Savior? You follow him in baptism. You declare to people, I'm one of you. I believe that Christ died for my sins. He's buried, rose again. He's my Savior. If you haven't taken the first step of obedience, it's kind of hard to consistently take those other steps of obedience. You want to win the battle over temptation and sin? Have you been baptized? Just say yes to Jesus this morning. Take that next step. Maybe you need church membership. Every Christian needs church membership. It's easier for me to prove that in the Bible than... Most of the stuff that's going around today. Every Christian's meant to be a member of a church. You know one of the great benefits of a member of a church? Is you're part of a whole group of people who are fighting the same battles you are. And they're as interested in your victory as you are. They'll help you. They'll encourage you. They'll pray for you. They'll be with you when you need them to. Do you have a church home? Do you need one? Have you considered Faith Baptist Church maybe is the place that God would have you call home? What do you need to do this morning with the message? Do you need to be saved? Do you need to be baptized? Do you need a church? Well, consider what God wants you to do this morning and just say yes. Let's stand this morning, every head bowed, every eye closed.